0: Lord God Almighty, every year you renew the face of the earth, and it is your will to renew the world fallen into sin and death. Grant that we may discern in your Son the dawning of the true life, and in him share in this new creation, for he lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Okay. All right, you should have a handout coming around. Who doesn't have one? Put your hand up if you don't have a handout. Okay. Uh, Vic, can I have a few of those? Be great. Let me take those. There are a couple of people behind you. Uh, it's the same one from last time. It's number 14. Yeah. Yeah, I gotcha. There you go. Do you have one? Yeah, you got one. Who else needs one? Raise your hand. Okay. Pass them down. He'll pass them back. She'll pass them back to Doug. Anyone up here need a handout? All right, you may remember, hopefully you all had a nice Easter, probably, um, it's a credit to the music department, probably three of the, three or four of the best services in a row there with Holy Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and Easter Sunday. The triduum was phenomenal, so thanks to the music department for all that. Um, Hopefully you all had a nice Easter as well, but we kind of left off, you may recall, with a number of questions. So I don't know if there are any, that's all right? I don't know if there are any questions to follow up from last time or if you just want to get going. Anything from last time you thought about over Easter? How many of you didn't think at all over Easter? Raise your hands. Okay, good. That's nice. What's that? Yeah, who was preaching? That's right. You said it. I didn't. Um, Look at then at your outline number 14. Um, You may remember, and this this goes back now probably five or six weeks, how are you? I haven't seen you in so long. Uh, Yeah, where have I been? That's what everybody says. Uh, So I once said to someone, I haven't seen you in so long, and they said, I didn't know you were still a pastor here. To which I said, I didn't know you were still a member here. I said, I'm always around. Um, Great to see you. Anyways, you may recall from Pastor Bruzek, you know, five or six weeks ago, he tried to help us uh, get Jesus right. And I, and I led last week, and then this opened up a number of questions. I led last week or two, three weeks ago by saying, if you get Jesus right, then you get the rest of it right. Every mistake, every mistake is a Christological mistake. So it's not that you just don't understand the Eucharist or you just don't understand absolution. Deep down, it's that you don't understand Jesus. Okay? So Pastor Brzezik tried to show you who Jesus is, and I've tried to show you, now we didn't get very far, I tried to show you who the Christian is. So take a look at number one. The fullness of Christ. To artificially split Jesus, and this is what Pastor Bruzek tried to help you avoid, to artificially split Jesus he is utterly in the way of the law. You are forcing him to be what he is not. There is one Christ, this is very important, there is one Christ, divine and human, who speaks his one word, law and gospel, and does his one work, justification and sanctification. You can't split the work of Jesus and say he only justifies or he only sanctifies. Both are heirs, he does them both. To recreate his one creation, heaven on earth, right now, this is the dawn of the new creation has already occurred. Okay? You see the fruits of the new creation already, at altar, pulpit, and font. Heaven on earth and eventually, heaven in heaven. So if you get that right, then you might just get the fullness of the Christian right. To artificially split the Christian is utterly in the way of the law. We are forcing him to be what he is not. There is one Christian, sinner and saint, who is redeemed in one way, justification and sanctification, and pushed out to live one life, a life of faith and a life of works. Does that that make sense? Everybody tracking? If you're not tracking, speak now. Okay, good. What we've learned from St. James then, thus far, here's what he's been trying to do. He's been trying to nudge his congregation and us toward living in the fullness of their humanity as those joined to the flesh of Christ. and And I think I said this two or three weeks ago. I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, but to sin is to actually be subhuman, Okay. Sin is not just missing the mark, sin is not just breaking a commandment. Sin at its core is breaking relationship. And the relationship that's broken is not just you with others, that oftentimes happens, but primarily, first and foremost Ephesians 5, it's you and Jesus. Jesus is the fullness of humanity. And when relationship with Jesus is broken, you actually become less than human. On your own, you are less than human. So to sin is to be subhuman. To be forgiven is to be restored to the fullness of your humanity. Um, a great German Lutheran theologian, Gustav Wingren, of the, of the 20th century, has a great book um, called, Christ, or called Christ the Living Word. And in it he says, um, Redemption lets men be men. And consequently, women be women. Okay? You're truly a man and you're truly a woman when you've been redeemed. And that's what James is trying to push you towards. Rejoicing in the faith, this is your outline. Rejoicing in the faith that was given as a gift and the gift which is given to others through their works. The prayer of the church today that gifted by you they be a gift to others. Faith finds its fulfillment. Its Christological end, the Greek word is teleio, as you know, the telos, Jesus on the cross, it is finished, telos, in the daily living of the Christian life. And then this great Luther quote, and this is basically where we left off three weeks ago. He, Jesus, fills us. What does he fill us with? His faith, but even better, Himself in order that everything he is, just listen to this, everything he is and everything he can do might be in us in all its fullness and work so powerfully so that we might be divinized throughout. You're actually made divine. The Luther quote from four weeks ago, you are little gods, not having only a small part of God or merely some parts of him, but having all his fullness so that all you say, and all you think, and everywhere you go, every part of who you are as human and as Christian, in sum, all your life is throughout divine. Okay? Flip to the next page. Mrs. Gady, how are you? Great to see you. I don't have an outline, but your husband does. The author. James, and we're going to move on to Galatians in just you know, a half page or so, but the author, James, does not take issue with faith itself. It's not as though James is banging on faith, which is oftentimes how Lutherans read Luther on James. We think Luther is banging on James because James doesn't talk about faith. That's not the point. The author does not take issue with faith itself. Faith is not the problem. But with a superficial confe- conception of it, which permits faith to be only a formal confession, only talk. He desires to point out that a Christianity of mere words does not lead to salvation. The true indicator, uh, the indicator of true Christianity is this. This is you. A life of faith expressed through a life of embodying Christ in good works. To sever faith and works inevitably means that faith is dead. The Greek word that James uses, nekra, from nekros, which you know from Ephesians 2 and Luke 15, means roadkill. Faith without works is roadkill. And if faith is dead, then Jesus too is dead. And we are responsible for his dying. Okay? And then he gives us, you remember James gave us the example of Abraham. And we won't won't talk a lot about this, but it's maybe helpful to remember this because Paul will use Abraham as well. Was not Abraham our father made righteous or justified out of works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with works, and faith was completed, finished, perfected by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. So Abraham has two things going for him. First, he believes. Okay? And this is, you know, this is so misunderstood in, in kind of evangelical Christianity, maybe all of Christianity. It's not just that he believes in God, he believes in the resurrection of his son, his son Isaac. I I, I, you know, I press you, go by any... I shouldn't say it because maybe not all of them. Go buy a number of kids' books on Abraham and Isaac, the arch books from CPH, and take a look at this. It appears from those books, and even from a song like The Lamb. We sing that, you know, the little kids sing that every Good Friday. The Lamb, the Lamb, a Father, where is the sacrifice? Faith sees, believes, God, him, God, God himself will provide the Lamb. All these songs and all these books make it appear that Abraham is looking for another way out. That Abraham goes to Mount Moriah and just hopes that somehow, some way, the Lord will give him something to sacrifice. I don't know if you can be faithful to the text and still say that. From Genesis 22, it's very clear that Abraham intends on sacrificing his son. Just look at artwork. Look at Caravaggio. You know, if you've ever seen, go, go home and Google it you'll see the, the intensity with which Abraham um, attempts to kill his son. So some of these are called the angel prevents Abraham. Okay? The angel pulls back the arm of Abraham because this old man is fully intent on slaughtering his son. And yet he believes that somehow, some way, God will raise his son from ashes to be a human being again. That's what he believes. He doesn't just believe in God. He believes that God will raise his son from the dead. And so, believing all of that, he did as he was bidden by the Lord to do. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. Stay here with the ass. That's supposed to be funny. Only like 7th and 8th grade boys understand that when they're in the sacristy and you say, stay here with the ass, he and I are going to go worship, we'll come back to you. I won't be teaching next week. Um, Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, the lad, and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. Not I will come back to you, we will come back to you. Look at the next page. Isaac said to his father Abraham, my father. He said to him, here I am, my son. He said, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, comma, my son. And then you see the fulfillment. This is so great. I was thinking about this on Monday, Thursday. You see the fulfillment of Genesis 22 with Jesus in the upper room. Abraham asks the question, what's missing from the sacrifice in Genesis 22? He says, I've got the fire, I've got the wood, where is the lamb? In the upper room as Jesus prepares for the Passover, what's the one thing he doesn't bring? The lamb. Bread, wine, bitter herbs, they go through the whole deal. Three cups, what does he not bring? The lamb. Isaac is a picture of Jesus. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built an altar there, and he laid the wood wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand, took the knife to slaughter his son, He did as the Lord had told him to do. Abraham was justified out of his works precisely because his works were the fulfillment, the perfection, the Christological completion of his faith. The two together, faith and works, made him righteous in the Lord's eyes. Okay? That is James. Now we're going to move to Galatians, which addresses a completely different issue. But are there any questions on what James is saying about faith without works is dead? Or the example of Abraham? Okay, good. Taking all the foregoing, then, the Lutheran way, in the way of the gospel. A couple things here from the confessions. This is great. This is, if you don't believe me, you might believe this. Beyond this, our people, Lutherans, Teach that it is necessary to do good works. Not that we should count on meriting grace through them, but because it is the will of God. It's what Jesus wants for you. It is only by faith that forgiveness of sins and grace are apprehended. The Lord only forgives you through your faith. He delivers it as a gift. Moreover, because the Holy Spirit is received through faith, consequently our hearts are renewed and endowed with new affections, with great love, so as to be able to do good works. for St. Ambrose says, faith is the mother of goodwill and the righteous action. Or, also from the Confessions, from the Apology, for James 2.24, this is what we just looked at. They quote, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. The they there are Roman Catholics. In the second place, the subject matter itself shows that the works spoken of here are those that follow faith and show that faith is not dead but living and active in the heart. James, therefore, did not think that we merit the forgiveness of sins and grace through good works. After all, he is talking about the works of those who have been justified, who have already been reconciled and accepted, and who have obtained the forgiveness of sins. Therefore, the opponents err when they argue from this passage that James teaches that we merit the forgiveness of sins and grace through good works and that we have access to God through our works apart from Christ the propitiator. You know from the text, Jesus Christ, the propitiation for our sins, today's epistle, okay? Part of the rub, especially among Lutherans, and, and the Lutheran confessors tried to address this, part of the rub is that so often when we hear the talk of good works, we think of them in the context of conversion, or the context of forgiveness, or the context of justification, okay? That is not what James is talking about. Is James writing, in writing to the church, to Christians or non-Christians? He's writing to Christians, right? People who've been converted, the Lord has done his deed, he's delivered his gifts, he's joined them to himself, and now he says, gosh, to show the world that you're a Christian. It'd be nice if we saw you doing some Christian deeds, okay? That's very different than what the Lutherans were trying to battle at the time of the Reformation, which was, you receive forgiveness, you're justified, you are made a Christian through your works. That's a very, very different thing. One is talking about how you become a Christian, the other is talking about how you live the Christian life, okay? The Lord has his way with you by forgiving you. Free gift. The Lord gets best possible use of you through good works. Does that make sense? Okay, good. So going forward, keeping James and Paul in their proper perspectives. For James, the question is this. How does the world know that I am justified? Remember, the Pharisees are saying to the congregation to whom James is writing, you're not doing enough. We don't even think you're Christians. How does the world know that I am justified? But for Paul, the question is this. How do I know that I am justified? Okay. So back to St. Paul's. You've got the text there in front of you. You probably should have the text also on the very last page of your handout. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has put you under a spell? Who has charmed you, the Greek says? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed and crucified. You saw it happen. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive, the Greek word there, lambana? that's a great gospel word. Paul uses it in 1 Corinthians 11. What I received from the Lord, I passed on to you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now note well, Paul here is not talking about the normal rhythm of the Christian life. That's what James is talking about. Rather, Paul is talking about the actual event of receiving the Holy Spirit. Did you receive the Spirit, he says. He's talking about your conversion. We've got two baptisms at 1115. He's talking about that. What Paul is saying is this. One cannot come to Christ through works of the law. Instead, he is telling his congregation that the reception of Christ, or better, Christ's reception of you, incorporation, right? There are two parts of the Bible study. Incorporation comes by way of the ear. Now, this was from three weeks ago, but just think back to the Annunciation to Mary, March 25th. How does Jesus get inside of her? Through her ear? Jesus saves by crawling into you and by becoming one flesh with you. Okay? St. Paul is addressing a different issue. Are you so foolish, he says, having begun by the Spirit? He's beginning to straighten things out here. He didn't begin by works of the law. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? A great bit here from Martin. In those services, okay, so St. Paul's, you know, talking to his congregation now in Galatia. He's not there. He's writing. They're reading these letters. These are the homilies, the sermons. In those services, the worship services, in which the Galatian church, you know, in which they're participating, the teachers, the Jews, are showing the Galatians that law-observant exegesis of the scriptures, looking for what you need to do, is the means by which one can be assured of a steady supply of the Spirit and its wonder-working power. For example, the more you do, the more you've got the Spirit. That's what they are being told. And yet St. Paul is saying this. The life of the Galatian church began with the Holy Spirit doing the verbs. Faith. Yet now, under the influence of the teachers, they are looking for final perfection by their doing of the verbs, by the flesh, by works, particularly through the observance of the law, both ceremonial sacrifices, temple stuff, and the moral law. Okay, I don't don't know if you've noticed this, but what just happened here is that they too, the Galatian church, have split the Christian life just like the congregation to whom James is writing, though this time they are emphasizing works and not faith. So James is writing to a group of people that say it's all about faith. St. Paul is writing to the Galatian church who at this time in their life together is saying it's all about works. Okay? You might consider what James would say if he, were write, if he were to write the Galatians. Works without the spirit, without faith, are dead, are necros. To James, faith without works is dead. To the Galatians, works without faith are dead. That makes sense? Please stop me if you're not tracking. This is, that's scary. This is, it's very important that you get this right, Okay? Because, you know, I've talked to some people. In fact, some people have kind of, and this is good, I suppose, some people have kind of jumped ahead in the Bible study a little bit, uh, even in the handout. That's nice that they came prepared that way. But the problem is maybe you didn't get to hear me say it all the way through. So if you don't understand the distinction in congregations that all pastoral care is specific, and James is writing to a specific need, a specific concern, and so is St. Paul. And that at its core, they are saying precisely the same thing, though they're addressing two different issues. If you don't understand that, you'll never be able to read James and be happy as a Lutheran. Okay? You'll never be able to get it. James is talking about the Christian life. Paul is talking about how you became a Christian. Okay? So please ask if you've got questions. Did you? Yes? Senate was not that happy with that because the issues were not necessarily clarified, they were fuzzed up. So yeah. if, if the Catholic Church is still, if the Roman Catholic Church is still saying that I mean, they seem to be saying we seem to be saying the same thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So where, where are we, where are they going askew or where are we still in disagreement? Yeah, great question. Where are we at right now kind of in uh, in relation to the Roman Catholic Church, or better, where are they at in relation to us? Um, well, the first important thing to remember, I think, and, and this is, and I think everybody here would agree, you know, we didn't, um, we didn't leave the Roman Catholic Church, we were kicked out. So the hope is, someday, I mean, if you, actually, if you actually believe what Jesus says in John 10, that they may be one, the hope is that all Christians come back together and there's one universal church. And I've said this before, you know, if, you, if that's not the hope, it's very, hard, it's very difficult to claim that you're a faithful Christian because that's what Jesus asks for. So we're always attempting to see, you know, where we might have some agreement where there, where there, wasn't, where there was disagreement before. In, um, when, was the, when was the joint declaration, the VICO, is, what's your act, J-D-D-D-P-F-C-whatever, when was that signed? I think it was in the early i think it was in the early 21st century so like 2000 2001 and it was signed between it was called the joint declaration on the doctrine of justification how you become a christian and it was signed by the elca so the evangelical lutheran church in america roman catholics signed it and probably you know a few other lutheran smaller lutheran synods signed it as well the, the lutheran church missouri synod did not sign it as you read that, however, you'll see some language of concession on Rome's part. They'll say things like, a man is saved by grace. And yet, they'll go on, I was just, in fact, I just read a, a bit of it the other day, I don't know why. A man is saved by grace, and they go on to say, and yet that life of grace is expressed through a life of good works. Which, to a certain extent, is what we're trying to say here. Um, whether or not there was full buy-in from the Roman church, that's a different matter. So, um, officially, dogmatically, doctrinally, I think we would still have some differences. They would say, um, when the Lord gives you his spirit at baptism, um, it's kind of like spiritual Gatorade, okay? Kind of fills you up for the task ahead, and now, to a certain extent, it's up to you to live the moral life. Wherefore, the great thing about Luther is, it's full blast. That's why I read you the Luther quote. It's all of Jesus. That's the primary distinction at the time of the Reformation. Does Jesus do all the verbs related to salvation or only some of the verbs? Rome would say he does many of the verbs, just not all of them, okay? Now, good news, um, Pope Benedict XVI, when he was Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger, was involved in the Second Vatican Council and said after the council, this is great, he said the fathers of the council should have spent more time reading Luther than they did. His critique of the council was, in fact, they said they shouldn't have read philosophers, they shouldn't have read, high, they shouldn't have read higher critics, they should have read Luther. So that, says you, that tells you something about the current pope. He's a Luther scholar, really. Now, would he still agree with Luther on everything? No, he can't, because he's the pope. <laughs> but would he, is he attempting, at least, to return the church to what it was, what it was intended to be by Luther right after the Reformation? I think to a certain extent he is. It's very hard to go back on former doctrines that were spoken uh, infallibly by former popes and say those were wrong, but certainly in practice going forward, he's made an attempt to be much more evangelical. And by that I mean he's all about the gospel. So I think, I think it's looking up, um, but if you read the Catholic Catechism, you'll still see talk of you know, kind of part way and not full blast. I don't know if that helps at all. Anything else? All right, here we go. Did you suffer then, says St. Paul? Pasco, did you experience so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. He's talking about their conversion. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So now he uses the account of Abraham, precisely the same account that James uses to defend his position. Did you experience, this is a reference to their initial reception of Christ by his wording spirit, along with all the gifts given in the course of that event, their experience of so many things, forgiveness, fresh start, new creation, new family, hope, joy, order, everything else you could ever imagine. Did you experience all those things in vain? So it appears that Paul is to the point where he's actually fearing the fact that it may be too late for recovery. Maybe they can't be helped. But then a dramatic switch in the grammar. Does he who supplies the ongoing supplying of the Spirit, which which Paul is talking about here, and working of miracles, are present participles? the Lord is supplying and working as St. Paul speaks to the congregation. As he speaks to the congregation, the Lord is doing his good work. Why? Because that's how Christ delivers his gifts. Through his viva vox. Through his living voice, intending them to be received by hearing with faith. We talked about baptism two or three weeks ago. Even at a baptism, you know, the two kids that are going to come today are four or six weeks old. Both of them are going to hear the gospel and believe, either, you know, with the water or right before the water hits. Somehow, some way, the Lord's going to deliver faith to that kid, and he's going to receive the baptism in faith as a Christian. Okay? He's going to chew it with his forehead. It's going to be great. A faithful ear, then, is a listening ear. Solomon, you remember, prays for a hearing heart. A faithful ear is a listening ear, one that receives and chews the incarnate Christ sacramentally with the ear, and one whose only response is, I am the Lord's servant, let it be unto me according to your word, to him or to her. That tangible, material, sacramental hearing, Jesus crawling in through your ear, is counted as righteousness. So the real question, then, is this. Are St. James and St. Paul saying the same thing? Okay. Are St. James and St. Paul saying the same thing? who will be out here in a few weeks. If you haven't signed up for the continuing ed course, it'll be great. Um, I have no idea what he'll say, but that's a good thing. Um, But come if you can. He's brilliant, and he's very helpful here with the book of James, where James does depreciate the saving value of dead faith, which is really no faith at all. He never attributes any salvific quality to works. This belongs to faith alone. Saving faith is present and identifiable where works are being performed. Faith which exists autonomously without works is not even worthy to be considered faith at all. Faith that exists without works is not worthy to be called faith at all. So try this, this is from a few weeks back and see how this makes you feel Jesus saves it's all Jesus he saves by delivering himself to you through his gifts, altar pulpit, font and absolution he is received St. Paul right what I received from the Lord, Lombano he is received with an open hand and a hearty thank you very much He alone saves. It's not about you, because he is pure gift, purely for you. The problem plaguing the Galatian church. Is it all Jesus, or is it not? It's it's funny. Paul is essentially writing to a group of people who can, well, it just struck me. Roman Catholics often identify themselves with the book of James because it says good works are good. But The Galatian Church is much more similar to the Roman Catholic Church than it is to the Lutheran Church. For for the church in Galatia, it's about good works affecting conversion. James is really writing to the Lutheran Church. You've been saved, now what? Okay. While Rome would align themselves with James, this is our book, they would say, and Lutherans would say, no, it's not. Paul's letter to to the Galatians is much more in line with what they need to hear, and the book of James is much more in line with what we need to hear. Yet from the very moment that Jesus touches you and heals you and saves you, his Christological touch is everything. Jesus coming in contact with your flesh, that's what matters. From that very moment, he joins himself to you in a concrete, tangible, life-giving way. And he begins to do his good gifting through you. You and Jesus are one in the same. Doing good works, then, is simply evidence that Christ has joined himself to you and that he is having his way with you. If there is no evidence, then there may not be a Christ present. And if there is not a Christ present, then there may not be faith. And if there is not faith, then we are dead. The problem plugging the church to whom James is writing. Okay? I hope you see um, that they're not saying they're not saying anything different than the other person. But in fact, they're just addressing two different issues. I hope you can see that. Any questions? Ruzik, you have anything? Okay, perfect. All right, well, next week we'll continue on then. We'll carry on probably in Galatians. Um, you can read ahead a little bit there. You should have, let's see, when we went through verse 6, you could start at verse 7, read on, you know, maybe till the end of the chapter, um, and we'll have some fun. All right? Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us.